2 Chronicles 32. After these things, and this faithfulness, Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, came and entered into Judah, and encamped against the fortified cities, and intended to win them for himself. When Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come, and that he was planning to fight against Jerusalem, he took counsel with his princes and his mighty men to stop the waters of the springs which were outside the city, and they helped him. So many people gathered together and they stopped all the springs and the brook that flowed through the middle of the land, saying, Why should the kings of Assyria come and find abundant water? He took courage, built up all the wall that was broken down and raised it up to the towers with the other wall outside and strengthened Milo in David's city and made weapons and shields in abundance. He set captains of war over the people and gathered them together to him in the wide place at the gate of the city and spoke encouragingly to them, saying, Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or dismayed because of the king of Assyria, nor for all the multitude who is with him, for there is a greater one with us than with him. An arm of flesh is with him, but Yahweh our God is with us to help us and to fight our battles. The people rested themselves on the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. After this, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, sent his servants to Jerusalem. Now he was before Lashish and all his power with him, to Hezekiah king of Judah and to all Judah who were at Jerusalem, saying, Sennacherib king of Assyria says, In whom do you trust that you remain under siege in Jerusalem? Doesn't Hezekiah persuade you to give over to die by famine and by thirst, saying, Yahweh our God will deliver us out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Hasn't the same Hezekiah taken away his high places and his altars, and commanded Judah and Jerusalem, saying, You shall worship before one altar, and you shall burn incense on it. Don't you know that I and my fathers have done to all the peoples of the lands? Were the gods of the nations of the land in any way able to deliver their land out of my hand? Who was there among all the gods of those nations, which my fathers utterly destroyed, that could deliver his people out of my hand, that your God should be able to deliver you out of my hand? Now therefore, don't let Hezekiah deceive you, nor persuade you in this way. Don't believe him, for no god of any nation or kingdom was able to deliver his people out of my hand, and out of the hand of my fathers, how much less will your god deliver you out of my hand? His servant spoke yet more against Yahweh God and against his servant Hezekiah. He also wrote letters insulting Yahweh, the God of Israel, and speaking against him, saying, as the God of the nations of the lands, which have not delivered their people out of my head, so shall the God of Hezekiah not deliver his people out of my hand. They called out with a loud voice in the Jews' language to the people of Jerusalem who were on the wall to frighten them and to trouble them that they might take the city. They spoke of the God of Jerusalem as of the gods of the peoples of the earth, which are the work of men's hands. Hezekiah the king and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, prayed because of this and cried to heaven. Yahweh sent an angel who cut off all the mighty men of valor and the leaders and captains in the camp of the king of Assyria. So he returned with shame of face to his own land. When he had come into the house of his God, those who came out of his own body killed him there with the sword. Thus Yahweh saved Hezekiah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, and from the hand of all others and guided them on every side. Many brought gifts 
to Yahweh to Jerusalem and precious things to Hezekiah king of Judah so that he was exalted in the sight of all nations from then on. In those days Hezekiah was terminally ill and he prayed to Yahweh and he spoke to him and gave him a sign. But Hezekiah didn't reciprocate appropriate to the benefit done for him because his heart was lifted up. Therefore there was wrath on him and on Judah and Jerusalem. Notwithstanding, Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, both he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that Yahweh's wrath didn't come on them in the days of Hezekiah. Hezekiah had exceedingly much riches and honour. He provided himself with treasures, treasuries for silver, for gold, for precious stones, for spices, for shields, and for all kinds of valuable vessels. Also, storehouses for the increase of grain, new wine and oil, and stalls for all kinds of animals and flocks in folds. Moreover, he provided for himself cities and possessions of flocks and herds in abundance, for God had given him abundant possessions. This same Hezekiah also stopped the upper springs of the waters of Gihon and brought them straight down on the west side of David's city. Hezekiah prospered in all his works. However, concerning the ambassadors of the princes of Babylon who sent him, sent to him to inquire of the wonder that was done in the land, God left him to try him that he might know all that was in his heart. Now the rest of the acts of Hezekiah and his good deeds, behold, they are written in the vision of Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos. In the books of the kings of Judah and Israel, Hezekiah slept with his fathers and they buried him in the ascent of the tombs of the sons of David. All Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem honoured him at his death and Manasseh, his son, reigned in his place. So Hezekiah, we've been through the last few chapters with him and things have gotten better and better and better because he had such a heart to do things for the Lord and so the Lord prospered him in everything he did and then we get to this chapter <laughs> and the Assyrians are coming and the Assyrians are an empire from the north. This is, uh, the, the capital city of Assyria was Nineveh and this is the place where Jonah didn't want to go and ran away from. And there's a good reason for that because they were bloodthirsty, cruel. They would skin people alive. I mean, they did all the nastiest stuff. Plus, they had, they had um, you know, decimated isn't the right word, but they had, um, you know, brutalized the northern ten tribes already. They'd already come down through those northern tribes and just wiped them out. And so um, this is one of the reasons why Jonah was not a fan of uh, Assyria. <laughs> uh, and um, we'll get to the book of Jonah. We'll talk all about that. But um, so they're not nice people. Hezekiah has been so good, but now the Assyrians are at the gates, the gates of Jerusalem. Actually, they're at the gates of Lashish, another city in Judah, but they're sending this message to Judah, to Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is in siege. And um, it looks like it's inevitably bad. Um, so the question I have is why do bad things happen to good people? Someone like Hezekiah has done nothing wrong. He's followed the Lord wholeheartedly. He's put things back in place that, that would, the Lord approved of. Now why does the Lord allow this to happen? Well, there's a couple of reasons. First of all, that the Lord tests us all. So the Lord allows things to happen to us because he's testing our hearts. Do we really trust him? <laughs> What's the reason why we're following him? Is it for a pure motives? I mean, you look at the story of Job. Here's, there's a guy that goes through a test 
And it seems to ha- it seems that all believers, even the good ones, have tests, just as Hezekiah does. It's also a chance to increase us, because in this difficult situation, Hezekiah ends up becoming the victor over the Assyrians. The whole story of this is told in much more detail in the book of Isaiah, and we will get to it. But uh, you find that through the process, the, the negative thing that seems to be rearing its head and seems so bad, suddenly when it's destroyed and removed, it turns into a blessing. Because after this is all over, they have the plunder from the battle that they take, and as well as that, they have the fear and the respect of all the nations around, and Hezekiah becomes greatly honoured. So what looks like such a disastrous situation turns into such a blessing. So the Lord brings things along not only as a test to show us what our hearts are, but also it's an opportunity to bless us. And the third reason that I could think of was that it's also an opportunity for the Lord's name to be glorified. So when difficulties come along to you, it's not because um, uh, you know, you're know you a bad person and you're being punished. It's, it's, not simple. it's not a simple thing like that. Bad things happen to good people, but it's because, hey, the Lord's wanting to increase you. He wants his name to be glorified, but also in the process, he's testing you so that you can learn what you're like and you can grow. And hopefully you pass the test and good comes out of it. But if you fail the test, the Lord will give you another one. (laughs) So bad things sometimes happen to good people, but through them, even greater good can come. So Hezekiah, um, it doesn't go into the detail of it all here, but he is someone who does trust the Lord. And one of the things he does is he builds this tunnel under the city of Jerusalem, which is called Hezekiah's Tunnel. And it's the place in all the, the Holy Lands. I know there's technically no such thing as the Holy Lands because the word holy means belonging to God, but all the earth belongs to the Lord. You know, and technically the Holy Land is us. It's you and me. We are the Lord's land. We're the place where he dwells. So technically, the holy lands of the Bible, they are just a a physical symbol of a spiritual reality that we are the Lord's land. We are the Lord's pasture. But anyway, we we still call them the holy lands. And, you know, if I ever get to go to, to Israel, the thing that's number one for me to see is Hezekiah's tunnel. That's the thing that I want to take my children to walk through. You need gumboots. It's half a kilometer long. It's under the city. It's dark. You need a torch. There is, there's uh, things carved onto the wall that were carved there 2,700 years ago. It's remarkable. And um, it, it's also an engineering masterpiece. Like this tunnel, they uh, decided that they didn't want the water. There was a spring, and they didn't want the spring used to flow down the hill out the city. And uh, if the Assyrian army arrived, this would have been like basically a free water supply. So they could have camped right there at the city. And um, but as it was, they re-diverted the water back into the city, so it flowed down into some pools, and they basically kept the water there for their own water supply. So it meant that the the attacking army on the outside of the city had no water. They had to get their water from further away, and it just made it logistically difficult. <laughs> I'm pretty sure from memory it was like 18 kilometers away to the next reli- They needed a reliable water supply that could support a big army, and I'm pretty sure when the Romans just trying to remember now from what I've read, but I'm pretty sure when the Roman army sieged Jerusalem, they had to have a, a system where donkeys were bringing water continuously from 18 kilometers away. Anyway, all the details I'm not 100% sure of, but 
I just know that it wasn't simple to siege Jerusalem from a water point of view because of Hezekiah. And this particular feat of his is an engineering masterpiece, what I understand, because they've carved through solid rock and they had to carve it and half a kilometre of carving a tunnel and had to get flow downhill the entire way. They couldn't dig it too deep because the water would have pooled and never made it to the spot. And they couldn't dig it too shallow. And I guess they could have. They could have increased the, the, um, the cut at the end. But they basically dug from two ends. And they've dug and they've kept the, the level just right so that when they met, the water was flowing consistently the whole way down. And first of all, they've been able to meet. You know, if you, you'd be thinking, you know, how do you have a sense of direction when you're tunneling under the ground? It's very hard. So there's all sorts of theories about how that happened. And, um, but, you know, it, it's basically a great feat that this was able to happen 2,700 years ago. And in the point where they met in the middle, there was a slight difference of the tunnels by about a foot. I understand that the high tunnel came and had to drop down a foot to meet with the low tunnel. That's pretty good. And um, right at that place, there was a plaque on the wall or something that was carved in and basically said, these are the names of the people that dug the tunnel. And, and anyway, that's been chiseled out or taken away and it's in a museum in Jordan. Uh, or is it Jordan or in Turkey? I've forgotten the details, but it's you can go in somewhere in the world and see that without having to go into Hezekiah's tunnel to see that. So it's all very, very cool and quite remarkable. But what we see here, the very digging of the tunnel tells us something. It tells us that Hezekiah, who was someone who really trusted in the Lord, but he also did things. So it's a, it's a, it'd be a little bit like you saying, oh, I've got a pain in the chest. I'm going to pray about that. So you pray about that, but you don't go to the doctors. Well, Hezekiah is someone who, if he had a pain in the chest, he would pray about that and go to the doctors. He'd just do both. And for me, this is the place where we need to land. You know, sometimes for uh, reasons we don't understand, the Lord doesn't hear prayers. Or he hears them, but he chooses not to answer. So I heard a story in the news of a, of a man and a woman that were charged with manslaughter because one of their children died from a sickness because they hadn't taken her to the doctor. The reason they didn't take her was because they believed the Lord was going to heal her. So they were praying, but they didn't take her to the doctor. But for some reason, the Lord wasn't listening to their prayer or wasn't answering it the way they thought. And so um, and the Lord does occasionally do this type of a thing. With, I've seen so many prayers answered, but sometimes with his great wisdom, he's going to do things a different way because he knows stuff we don't know. And so we, we are people who we, we ask the Lord to do what the Lord can do and we also do what we can do as well. So, for example, it doesn't make sense to say, uh, Lord, I want a nice clean house. Could you clean my house for me? <laughs> when the Lord's given you the ability to clean your house, so just go get the vacuum cleaner and start. And, um, you know, or, you know, you need a haircut. Don't pray for the Lord to give you a haircut. Go to the hairdressers. So there are some things that you need to do, but there are some things that only the Lord can do. So the Lord couldn't, uh, you know, Hezekiah couldn't defeat the Assyrians on his own. He needed the Lord to do it. But the one thing he could do was he could divert the water supply and make it harder for them. He did it. So we, we, we put our trust in the Lord he walks with us, but the Lord isn't someone that just, you know, the Lord expects us to be responsible. The Lord expects us to work. 
And it's like those billionaires that don't just give their children everything. They expect them to go to school and they expect them to do their homework and do their assignments and learn. And they give them $5 pocket money like every other kid and expect them to learn how to manage it. So, you know, those type of billionaires, you know, they're that smart, that's intelligent. But then if the kid gets stuck, I'm sure their parents would help them out. So that's our Lord. Our Lord wants us to be responsible, to do what we can do, to take wise steps, to learn what's right and wrong and put it in place. But the Lord is our ever-present help in time of need. He's there and our faith is in him. So for me, if I have a if I have a if I'm not feeling well, I'll pray, of course. But if I've got to go to the doctor, I'll go as well. I'll do both. And Hezekiah is someone who's just like that. So Lord, we thank you for King Hezekiah, a person that trusted in you, um, but was also a responsible human that took initiative. And I pray that the grace of God had come upon the body of Christ to be like that. I pray that, that churches and believers and Christians would be proactive in service, proactive in doing things, but also full of faith, full of grace. Lord, I pray you carry your people forward in Jesus' name. Amen.